facility, and then put her head in her hands as the frenzied strains of an angle grinder rose from the forecourt below. Ow! Fresh hell! What she needed was... coffee. Very strong. Ha ha, Hazel, your day just got worse. There was no Illy left. She'd have to have tea. In the kitchen, she filled the kettle, jabbed the on switch, and went back into the office. The answering machine was blinking at her nervously, as if it sussed she was in a bad mood. She wished she could have phoned in sick like Rennie. That was the bummer about being the boss. You had to show up, hangover, flu, or Ebola virus notwithstanding. But at least being the boss meant that she could show up in her dressing gown if she felt like it. Hazel worked from home, and her office was just downstairs from her bedroom. She was an escapee from commuter belt hell, and knew that she must count her blessings. She sat down at her desk, reached for a post-it pad and a nutcracker PR pen, and pressed play. Five messages had accumulated since she'd fled the office yesterday. Hi, Hazel. Suki here at Online Studios. Hazel, hello. It's Jim here, ringing about your tax returns. Hi, Hazel. I'm PA to Dominic Forrest, and we're opening an exhibition by... Hazel, hi. Finbarda Rossa here. We met at the post-premiere party of... Ms. McNamara. My name is Hugh Hennessy. I got your number from the Golden Pages, and I'm phoning to see if you might be interested in handling the PR for the Kilrone Arts Festival this year. Perhaps you might call me on... Finally came the automated voice, which she automatically parroted. End of messages. Hazel looked down at the bedoodled post-it and drew a circle round the word Kilroan. She'd never been there, but she'd heard of it. Kilroan was a small village in the west of Ireland, and since her assistant, Rene's mother, had moved to the locality a couple of years ago, Rene was full of gossip about it. The gossip centred around the hordes of media types who descended lemming-like upon the joint in the summer months. They went there in their beamers and sabs for sailing and golf and scuba diving and for the cultural highlight, which, as in most thriving summer communities, was the annual week-long arts festival. Kilroan was famous, too, for its colony of creatives, the village was the haunt of artists and writers and musicians and Trustafarians who fancied themselves as being all three rolled into one. At last. The alarm of the road finally shut up. The angle grinder had taken a tea break and the pressure on her temples eased a little. Hazel pressed the play button on the machine again and systematically deleted each message after she'd made certain she'd got the info right. She did not, however, delete the last one. She wasn't sure why. Maybe she just liked the sound of this Hennessy bloke's voice. She entered his details in her organiser, made a pot of tea, and knocked back a couple of Panadol. And then she did something that was going to change her life. She picked up the phone.
to Hugh Hennessy. Pixie Pirelli was holed up in a suite in Ballin Hinch Castle Hotel. She was on the run. Nobody knew she was there. Not even her agent, not even her editor. Hopefully the press was equally unenlightened as to her whereabouts. She'd had major, major flack with them since she'd split up with her boyfriend. Pixie had found out about the castle in a book called Greatest Escapes of the World, or some such. And right now, she had a burning ambition to become as consummate an escape artist as David Blaine. Actually, strike David Blaine, he was rubbish. Make that Houdini. Oh, heavens. Here she was trying to escape, and she was still mentally editing her own thoughts. That was the one drawback about being a writer. You never, ever stopped working. Only yesterday, when she'd been strolling by the river in the grounds of the castle, she'd been trying to find the most apposite words to evoke the beauty of her surroundings. And once she found the words, she had to scribble them down in her notebook with the pen she always carried. She tried to leave the pen behind once, hoping that it's not being thereness, consult thesaurus, might sabotage her compulsion to write. But an entire novel had come into her head that day, and by the time she'd raced back home to write down her ideas, the novel had vanished into the ether. So Pixie was like Mary and her little lamb, except that, everywhere that Pixie went, her pen was sure to go. The problem for Pixie was that she couldn't simply enjoy life. She had to write it down. She envied those lucky people who could go off on holiday and send postcards home with scribbles like Words cannot describe the beauty of the Maldives, or Martinique, or Mauritius, or wherever, because it was her job to find those words. Pixie Pirelli was an author who'd got lucky. Except her real name wasn't Pixie, nor was it even Pirelli. Her name was plain Jane Grey. She'd been advised by an expert that a brilliant book by Jane Grey wasn't going to get as much press as a brilliant book by Pixie Pirelli, and the expert had been right. Pixie's books danced onto the bestseller shelves in bookshops and shimmied straight out of the doors, earning her a lot of money in royalties in the process. And if that's all her job had entailed, if plain Jane Grey could sit in front of her laptop and tip-tap out Pixie's novels, life might be very rosy indeed. But people wanted to see Pixie, and they wanted to meet her. They didn't want to meet boring Jane Grey, who probably worked tapestries in her spare time. They wanted to meet Pixie, with her glittering career and her scintillating social life. So when Jane appeared before the public eye, she pulled on Pixie's persona, as well as Pixie's dazzling array of designer threads. She was a complete and utter media consultant's dream. She posed for photographers with a smile as big as Kylie's. She flirted with chat show hosts, even the rebarbative ones, no, strike rebarbative, too obscure, sub, smarmy. And she signed copies of her books until her nail extensions ached. That's why she'd gone AWOL. Her latest book had waltzed straight onto the bestseller list at number one, 
and she was so exhausted by the concomitant publicity that she'd even allow herself to get away with the word concomitant. How glad she was that she'd found this haven. Ballinahinch Castle was one of those splendid places that weren't too intimidating. She'd had holidays in more exotic and more luxurious places, the kinds of hotels where you had your own private infinity pool and staff salammed you everywhere you went, and there was a platoon of butlers, beauticians and bellboys on standby to pamper you. She especially hated the butlering, because she'd much rather unpack her own underwear, thank you very much. But once you'd visited one of those resorts, you'd visited them all. And that's something Pixie thought was really strange about herself. She found those utopian resorts rather boring. She'd had herself deposited on a small desert island in the Maldives by launch once, to spend the day alone in a bounty bar paradise. The resort on the main island had packed a cool box full of delicacies and champagne and exotic fruit for her, but she'd stupidly left her book behind, the one she was reading, not the one she was writing, and she had thought she might go insane with boredom. Tom Hanks in Cast Away couldn't have boarded that launch much faster than she did when it finally showed up. So when she'd read about Ballinahinch Castle, she'd booked herself in. She'd jumped on a plane to Galway, and a driver had met her at the airport and driven her here through some of the most astonishing scenery she'd ever gazed agape at. And now she was sitting having coffee in her suite, admiring the view of the river beyond the big picture window and actually smelling that coffee for a change. She really had escaped. And bought